I want to thank HCA Healthcare for being a sponsor for today's episode. You know, as a new nurse, there is so much to learn, which is why the nurse residency program with HCA Healthcare is such a great opportunity. HCA Healthcare's nurse residency program sets up newly graduated nurses for success with benefits like clear career pathways, student loan assistance, tuition reimbursement, and much more. With HCA Healthcare, you get hands-on clinical experience while developing your critical thinking skills. Plus, you'll have support from experienced nurses and fellow nurse residents. So for all you upcoming and recent grads, I highly recommend you check out careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. Again, that's careers.hcahealthcare.com slash residency. HCA Healthcare is an equal opportunity employer. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about everything and anything nursing and healthcare related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at nurse.org. So I'm really excited about today's episode, but let me just preface this because I'll just lay it out and then we'll kind of, it'll make more sense this way. But I was doing my critical care transport thing, which I always do. I was picking up an elderly Filipino speaking woman who was newly uh, trached and on a ventilator and just seemed really uncomfortable, had multiple medical conditions, was in restraints because she was tugging at her equipment and just looked really, really uncomfortable. And while I, as the nurse, was able to provide care for her, one of the things I couldn't alleviate truly was her discomfort and her angst and just the overall, just she looked to be unhappy with what was going on and caused a lot of moral distress for myself. And while Mm -hmm. in nursing, you know, we have this power where we can really, you know, you know, try to save lives and we can do all these things, but sometimes doing all these things can actually kind of be painful emotionally. And so today's guest is going to talk about her new book, uh, The Power and Pain of Nursing, as well as help us tap into a little bit more of end of life care because she's very well versed in that area. So please welcome to the show, Breth Cavanaugh. She is a nurse with over 25 years of experience in internal medicine, short stay surgery, and hospice care. And she understands firsthand the compassion in healthcare and knows that sometimes it can be elusive. So please welcome to the show, Beth. Hi, Hi. Beth. thank you so much, Alice, for having me today. 25 years of experience. That's a lot of nursing years under your belt here. So I always like to ask guests, why did you choose nursing? And then tell us a little bit about your journey. After I graduated from college with a political science degree, <laughs> I went, I did a volunteer program in nursing homes and I, I was like the mental health therapy assistant. So I would, I would wheel all the geriatric patients in the nursing homes into our therapy groups. And we would talk about depression and anxiety and do life review. And um, we would take them on rides to ostrich farms and Dairy Queen. And I kind of fell in love with just the whole environment. Like I loved the nursing home. I loved the elderly people. And I kept watching the nurses. It never occurred to me to be a nurse until that year. And so after that, then I went back to nursing school and have totally loved my profession pretty much on most of the time. And if I haven't loved it, I've taken little breaks here and there or else I've gone to part-time, but I've done, you know, all those years of internal medicine, short stay surgery. And then I felt like I really landed professionally when I went to this beautiful hospice home in 2006 and started hospice care then. And I've done just a whole bunch of different things in hospice. Right now I work at an inpatient unit. 
I had a personal experience with my own mom's death way back in 1998, and I was able to take care of her when she died. And I feel like that, you know, of course, that never, ever left me. And as a nurse, you know, all of our personal experiences kind of feed yeah. how we operate as a nurse, right? Mm -hmm. This was a constant thread with me as I was nursing for other people. And I think that's why I just landed in, when I landed in hospice, I felt like, I've done this before. I know how this feels. I can totally support people, you know, while they're they're experiencing their own anguish and pain and then support the family. So I really do love hospice care. Oh, wonderful. Uh, thank you for walking us through your journey and telling us your why. And, you know, that, I'll say that's interesting to go from political science to nursing, <laughs> although that's probably helpful with the new set of leaders that we need to kind of help lead the charge with all the changes in the politics and stuff moving forward. So we might need you for other things, Beth. True. So, but true. I, I want to get back to hospice. So, you know, I've shared this story before early in the pandemic, before we kind of labeled it a pandemic, I lost my mother too. And so I had the experience of, she didn't quite make it to hospice because, you know, she declined very quickly, but just kind of going through those emotions from shifting from life-saving therapy and care to more comfort care. And you know, I, I work ICU, I work ER, it's kind of, I'm usually on the end of saving lives. And so I've taken care of patients where we've shifted to comfort care, but it really, really hit me. What is my personal experience? And it really shifted the way I think about things. And, you know, I would rather not everyone have to learn the hard way, but hospice care, end of life care, uh, comfort care. Some nurses are still, dare I say, a little confused about uh, what this means because does it automatically mean DNR? Does it automatically mean like we stop everything? Does it, you know, and I think there's some confusion around that. So if you don't mind, if you can just give us a quick overview about, you know, some of the most important things that we as nurses need to know and, you know, what is hospice really? And what did, you know, what, what can we understand as far as the services that come along with that? There were a lot of questions in that question. <laughs> I know it's loaded. <laughs> it's a loaded question. So I'm going to start with, you know, if you're in the hospital setting and taking care of a patient and they are, you find out they're switched to comfort care, I think it's important to find out exactly what their directives, you know, what that does mean, because I think it's really, it can be different for a lot of people. We have patients, even on hospice, who are full code. We don't love it when they're full code, but part of it is because it's such a process, Right deciding that you don't want to be a full code as a patient. If one of your patients is a comfort care patient, it still means they need care and still needs, they mean, it, it means they need good medical care, but we're treating their pain, their anxiety, their constipation, their, you know, we're still treating their symptoms, but they're not going to be doing any aggressive medical therapy no IV antibiotics. I mean, in theory, no IV fluids. You still want to feed them. You want to, you know, give them whatever they want to eat and drink, but they're not going to be monitored on a cardiac monitor. You know, they're not going to go to the ICU. Right. If things are declining, then they're declining. And so, and I know, I, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever taken care of somebody in the hospital that was switch to comfort care. And I think it would feel very awkward as a nurse 
you know, like you said, life saving, that's what we do. And then to have your patients switch to comfort care, but really there's so much you can still do as their nurse. Sometimes I feel like maybe the comfort care patients don't receive as much care anymore from their nurse, almost because they don't really know what to do. So it's just really important to collaborate with the physician. Maybe they're being followed by a different physician now, like a palliative care physician. Really make sure their pain is under control. If they're on opioids, start a bowel regimen and do a lot of supportive stuff. I mean, this is the time when you can actually pull up a chair at the bedside and it's not frowned upon. I know it's impossible for nurses to even think about sitting down in a chair, but even if you do for a minute or two, it can be an incredibly supportive therapeutic intervention for your patient. And then as far, you know, I have a lot of information. I wrote a book, Some Light at the End, and it has a lot of information about end of life and what to expect when someone's dying. So I think if you just kind of have a little few more tools under your belt in terms of what to expect when people are dying and what it looks like when people die so that you're not surprised and you can kind of help the family through it. That might be a good thing to research. <laughs> no, Beth, you said some real, some things that I wanted to follow up on. You're right. So when in the inpatient setting, and I know this may vary, some people don't want to die in the hospital. If death is inevitable, some people don't want to die in the hospital, but if it's imminent, then sometimes, you know, we can only do what we can do. But when I just want to clarify, when a provider writes comfort care only, is that really an order? Like that doesn't necessarily, you still need an order for a DNR, correct? And you still need an order for palliative care con- consultation. You still need an order for hospice care evaluation, right? I just want to clarify because, you know, sometimes people, we can get very task oriented. Me as a nurse, what should I be looking for and make sure, can I just accept comfort care only as an order? Is that right? I think that that I would um, follow up with the physician who wrote the order and just really find out what that means. Does that mean that they're going to be getting a hospice consult and going home with hospice? Does that mean that they're, they are a DNR, a do not resuscitate? You definitely need an order for a DNR. You also need an order for comfort care. Generally, I mean, I think if they're in the hospital, the physician has likely filled out a physician's order for life-sustaining treatment, the pulsed form, ah. which means, you know, which is the, do you want to have CPR or do you want to be a DNR? Do not resuscitate. And then it follows up with what kind of medical interventions do you want? Do you want selective interventions? Do you want the full-blown, as many medical interventions as possible, you know, ventilator, ICU, the whole thing? Do you want just IV antibiotics and maybe dialysis, maybe CPAP, BiPAP? Mm -hmm. Or do you want no aggressive medical interventions, but we'll still take care of your pain? We'll still give you oral antibiotics, even if you have, you know, a Mm -hmm. UTI, but we're really going to focus on your comfort because a lot of those interventions can do more harm than good. There's so many amazing palliative care programs out there, and I think most hospitals have them now. I feel really optimistic that the physicians who wrote the order for comfort care really had a proper discussion with the family about what they want. So that's a kind of a long, vague answer, but I would follow up with the doctor and just clarify, does this mean comfort care only? Does this mean no aggressive treatment at all? Does this mean they're a full, are they a full code? Are they DNR? What are Mm -hmm. they? You know, just follow up. 
Well, I like your idea of making sure there's a pulse in place because pulse can follow the patient at home. So, you know, if something happens at home and paramedics arrive to the scene and they see that there's a pulse there, they can still look at that and honor the patient's wishes. So, you know, I'm always asking, is there a pulse? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and let me just go ahead and call out some, some of my colleagues here. Some of the inpatient providers will say, oh, we'll let the outpatient provider write that. And I just think that we miss opportunities because so much could happen from the time they're inpatient to the time they get to that provider. So be an advocate for your patient and make sure that we know what their wishes are and do your best to make sure that that's executed on some type of documentation so we all can do what the patient wants. And also because Beth, you know, where she's, she's saying that, you know, this is the time where we manage their pain. If you're going to put them on opioids, make sure you give a bowel regimen. I like that. And don't be afraid to give the pain medications. Beth, I don't know how many times nurses are afraid to give the pain medication. Cause like, Oh my gosh, the blood pressure is dropping. I don't want to mm-hmm. give, what do you do in that situation? So let's okay. say the patient is in a DNR status, comfort yeah. care. We recognize that death is imminent. Why do you think some nurses are afraid to give that medication? I mean, is it because the blood pressure, they think that they're going to be the one that's like, that's the mm-hmm. dose that's going to send them over. What do you think? And what do you say to nurses who are afraid to give the medication? Yeah, I, I think <laughs> those are really good questions. I think that, yes, they're probably afraid of being the one to administer the last dose. There will always be a final dose of a medication, though, I'm here to tell you. And it takes a lifetime, I think, getting over that fear. And I don't have that fear anymore. But, you know, we're responsible human beings, right? I mean, most nurses are in this profession because we really do want to do we want to do what's best for the patient. So of course, nobody wants to administer the last dose of morphine, but there's always a last dose of morphine if somebody's on hospice, you know. So just a little bit of education, five milligrams of morphine is our general starting dose for an opioid for most patients. Morphine and Ativan are like a power couple in, you know, in medication management uh, with hospice. Morphine, five milligrams is equivalent to about one Vicodin. So I just want people to kind of know that because then it doesn't feel so scary. And it doesn't. Yeah. And then you can also tell your patients that because then they won't be afraid either. So you give them a little dose of morphine and and that's the, the starting dose. So and then you slowly increase over time, collaborating with your physician if it's needed. And then Ativan is morphine also helps with shortness of breath. That's our gold standard of care for shortness of breath management. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, considering kidney status and all that other stuff. So, and Ativan is really good for anxiety. It helps with nausea. It helps with sleep. And, you know, a lot of patients who are in hospice that those are three main issues, right? So I say, give it, (laughs) give it please. Because, you know, I mean, Nobody wants to die in pain. That is for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And ask for it. Keep going. What were you going to say? Well, I was going to say, because sometimes there are no, there's no medication ordered or maybe PRN. And then, so we're, people are looking at vital signs for signs and symptoms of discomfort before they give the pain medication. Maybe your patient is so exhausted and so tired that they can't communicate with you. Does it mean that they're not in discomfort? I know people mm-hmm. are like, well, I'm looking for the tachycardia and I'm looking for these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, while in general, those may be indicators, they're not absolute indicators. I always tell people, and, you know, when I've worked with nurses, I've said, like, consider their medical condition. They have cancer that has 
uh, mets everywhere. They have bed sores. They're not able to move. They have, you know, CHF. Like, how do you think you would feel laying in bed <laughs> that long and, you know, only being turned every two hours? Hopefully if we can even, you know, let's be honest, pandemic really hit us. We weren't even getting to people every two hours, but just imagine what it feels like to be, I mean, when I lay in bed long enough and in the same position, I feel stiff and sore. I'm like, oh my God. And, you know, so I feel like some nurse like, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't give anything because they didn't complain of anything. They didn't say anything or I didn't see any indicators of pain. Girl, did you look at the disease process, cancer meds? I don't know about you, but I, I think right. that warrants some just critical thinking and some compassion. Get the medications on board. I know it's ordered PRN, but use your clinical judgment, administer the medication, keep them comfortable. Like what would you want for your loved one, for your your parent? That's some of the stuff that I see. And I'm glad we're talking about it because I really want to empower nurses to do to do those things. But Beth, when we're doing these things, I'll be honest, like I was explaining the last shift when I was taking care of this woman, her primary language is Filipino. She was newly tricked, so she couldn't really speak and she was vent dependent. She'd been pulling on tubes because she had some encephalopathy. And so they had mm-hmm. her in restraints and I, the, just the look on her face was like, she looked miserable, mm-hmm. uncomfortable. And mm-hmm. she had multiple medical conditions and I know she was full code, but based on her hospital course, she'd been declining and she was still declining. And I just thought to myself, wow, that like, I felt, I felt bad. My heart broke for her. And then I was also thinking like, I would hope my family, I mean, I better get my stuff together, write down my, my advanced directive, my health proxy, my durable power of attorney, whatever. I need to get all that stuff together, which I don't, but I promise you I'm working on it guys, because it just was very distressing. So, I mean, you have a new book, The Power and Pain of Nursing. Can you tell us a little bit more about your book and how it can help nurses like myself and new nurses kind of get through some of the beauty and the ugly of nursing? Yeah, there's a lot of both. I just want to circle real, back real quick on your your Filipino patient. And, you know, I just took my, renewed my CPR class. And I, as I was doing chest compressions, you know, like I was on a stool and I was putting all my weight on this patient. And I I just kept thinking about my tiny little patients who've been full codes before. And, you know, you think about how you're not taking away their disease process. You're nothing's going to change about their chronic illnesses. They're not going to come out of this. Well, we all know that, you know, pushing, pushing on someone's chest, two inches, at least two inches. Anyway, I just, I think you're right. You've also said on the show that, you know, missed opportunities, you know, so if, if somebody's in your care and situations like this come up, really ask the doctor to sit down with them and have a conversation when things are not looking so bright. And by the way, um, I did ask, I was transporting the patient from one hospital to another because she had to have a special procedure done. So she was going back to her LTAC, which is a long-term care facility for chronically ill patients because she has this ventilator and all these, you know, kind of acute problems, but she's long-term. So she was, but in my handoff, I asked, I said, I see the daughter is the point of contact does she live close by has she been by and she's like well no the daughter hasn't been here she lives in san francisco and i'm just like i really and i said i said you know the patient looks extremely uncomfortable my heart's breaking for her i think that it's real appropriate that you the the physician someone contact the daughter and talk to her about you know what her mother would like Mm -hmm. and i know we can all have this selfish need of wanting not wanting to let go of our loved ones or not feeling like 
we are the reason why they're no longer here because we made this decision for them. But I think it's really important that we honor our patients with some dignity, some respect, and provide them with the compassion that we would want shared with ourselves. So mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. of that was, so that was a painful night for me. But Beth, I I'm yeah. gonna need to read your book. So tell me, tell me more about it because I need help. I need help here. Well, one of my friends, she was talking about another nurse friend that she just bought this book for. It's called The Power and Pain of Nursing. And she goes, yeah, she's been super stressed. She, you know, pandemic kind of killed her. She's going to take some time off nursing. And I was like, I don't know if my book will actually, she might need a little bit more than my book. (laughs) You know, I mean, most of us need like a trip to Hawaii and couple margaritas and you know some self-care and relax yeah but I wrote the power and pain of nursing actually pretty much during the pandemic and I collaborated with two people on it Dominic Vachon and his wife MJ Murray Vachon she's a licensed clinical social worker and family therapist and has been one for 35 years Dominic Vachon he is the director of the compassionate oh god I'm gonna get it wrong anyway he's the director at Notre Dame of the Compassionate Science Center or something like that. We started on this project together because we wanted to provide frontline workers with just a little bit of fodder for their day. That project never really went anywhere, but I took all of the juice and kind of made it into this little 30-day guide for nurses. And it's just to establish practices. It's a tiny little book, but it's to establish practices about, you know, what you can do before your shift, after your shift, you know, developing a meditation practice, uh, doing some embodiment work, self-care, like yoga, doing body scans. You know, nursing is such a mind, body, spirit profession. And I think we forget it because we're so in our heads all the time yeah. when we're nursing. And it, it is, it's a, it's an intensely intellectual profession. And we have so many tasks to complete as well. But it's so spiritual. Like you, you brought up moral distress with your patient that you were transporting. Mm-hmm. And we experience so many like deep, dark emotions on our shifts. We see so much that nobody will ever see in their lifetimes. And it is, and it's a body, it's a body profession too, right? I mean, we are constantly hoisting and hoving and heaving and, you know, there's just so much activity that we do throughout the day. So really important just to remember this nursing profession is hard, period. So you have to have some kind of self-care practices woven into over, you know, under all over your life to maintain some kind of grace and composure, like when you're there and when you go back home, you know, to likely take care of other humans, right? Exactly, our families. <laughs> we got to even take care of ourselves, guys, because I'm going to be honest, there are times where I don't take best care of myself because I get home and I'm, you know, you know me, guys, I work all over the place and different. I work day shifts sometimes, I work night shifts sometimes, and I'm all over the place. I'm staying up, making sure the kids are off their school, the house is clean, and everyone's got their dental and medical and like. I don't necessarily take the best care of myself because I'm just trying to get it done. And then I'm back at work for my patients. And then I'm looking back like, what have I done for myself? I, you know, like, so now I literally when I, you know, like today, I'm going to be home today. I'm literally going to make like the best lunch ever, sit outside, soak in some sun, listen to some meditation music or some waves and let, you know, read a good book and just do nothing. Just be present with myself because 
and Beth, as you were saying, and all of us, many of us have worked through the pandemic. Some of y'all were in school during the pandemic. It, you know, work has been stressful. School has been stressful. Family is stressful. And so it's really important that we arm ourselves with these tools to offset the stress, anxiety, depression, and things that sometimes the that comes along with a profession. You know, people trust us with their lives at their most vulnerable time. There's a lot of what is this saying that Spider-Man movie with great power comes great responsibility or something to that, to that oh, yeah. sense. And so that sense. I think that's it. And so even though we were hailed as superheroes, right. You know, our, our profession was equated to being, you know, as frontline workers on the front line of the COVID war and stuff like that. But the truth is I'm not a soldier guys. I'm not, I'm a lady who's a mom and a nurse. I like to care for people. I don't like to fight battles <laughs> and wars and I'm not built for that. I'm tired. I cry. <laughs> I cry when I, amen, listen, amen. I've cried in the break room. I've cried in the ER bay at times because you can't mm -hmm. help but be human during mm -hmm. all of this. And let me say during the pandemic, we have like masks and goggles on. And sometimes like I literally would have tears or boogers just like dropping down. Cause I was like, well, shit, I'm all garbed up. I can't take this shit off. I just, we're just going <laughs> to behind the mask. I didn't take time to take care of myself. So with Beth's book, the power and pain of nursing, it sounds like there are things there are tools and tips in there for us to incorporate in our daily lives so we can kind of manage this before it gets crazy out there. So it's actually, Beth, it sounds like a really great book to even start with our students in nursing mm -hmm. school. We didn't get all of this in nursing. When I went to nursing school, they didn't tell us anything about self-care. It was all about the patient. They didn't nothing about cost containment or finances. That was out the water. Just take care of the patient and nothing about self-care. Well, right. We do students a disservice if we don't talk about the difficulties of the profession. And I think that, you know, most hospital systems don't have excellent self-care programs woven into, you know, the benefit package for nurses. So you really do have to implement your own strategies that work for you. And I think my book in general is about building compassion practices because, you know, we all know how hard it is to be compassionate, especially on those <laughs> really hard days. So I think a couple things that would be most important to do, at least here, here are my tips for the day. Establish some kind of meditation practice. And it can it only has to be like a five-minute meditation practice. There's so many websites and places you can go online to find five minutes. I love Tara Brock. She's amazing. And it's a guided meditation. And it's to practice the stillness of your mind, which, you know, nurses work like, you know, it's firing. It's hot up here all the time. We just have so many things to do, tasks to get done. And so really practicing that, it's like a mindfulness practice, right? Another thing to do is the embodiment piece that I was talking about before. Really take stock of your body and how you're doing, how you're feeling. Um, I love body scans where you lay down and again, you can listen to a guided body scan where you basically work on relaxing from head to toe. You will be utterly amazed at how stressed out your body is. <laughs> and you know, we don't even realize it, right? We just keep on, keep on running, keep on running. Another thing you can do is I love practices at work that you can do. Like I mentioned before, pulling up a chair. I know it's really hard for nurses to do this, pulling up a chair next to the bed. But I swear, if you just practice for a minute, look at the clock even, and you will be kind of amazed at how the energy in the room shifts where the patient and the family feel like, oh, we have her attention. Oh, she's listening to us. Just practice that. But, you know, do practices weave practices into your shift 
where you feel like you can be mindful and present to your patients. Maybe just that just means taking a breath when you're at the bedside or sanitizing your hands and saying, okay, I'm going to walk into this patient's room and I'm going to be right there with them. I like that. I really do. I like all of those tips, actually. I've done some meditation for, I've not done body scan. I'm going to try that today. And, but the connection with the patients, I think, you know, early on, like my, my why, y'all know my why, why I became a nurse. Like my dad died of a massive heart attack and inspired me to want to be the best cardiac nurse in the world and change healthcare systems so we can improve Mm -hmm. it. So other people wouldn't have to go through some of the same chaos my dad went through, but making Mm -hmm. that connection with the patient and the family, there is something about that where, you know, nurses were the most trusted profession, but I'll be honest. I don't know if I trust you that much. If you're talking to, if I'm talking to your back and you're on the computer, so are you having pain? But you've not laid eyes on me. Like, (laughs) I think it's good for the patient. And it's also good for you, you know, to make that human connection. We are taking care of, we treat people, not numbers, right? Mm -hmm. These are people, these are not disease processes. This is not, oh, the diabetic in 519, the heart failure in 430. This is Mr. Jones who's here with heart failure. Let's shift how we talk and about our patients as well. We really want to bring, make sure we bring back if y'all lost it and you don't have to tell me, but you know who you are if you lost it, that personal touch. But let's, let's get that human connection back. Mm. I think if we can bring that back and bring back the humanity in healthcare, we can repair some of the the, the broken relationships, the, the mistrust, some of the inattentiveness that can lead to misdiagnosis and communication issues, because you might say, oh, the patient didn't tell me they're in pain. Well, the patient maybe couldn't communicate it with you, but they're grimacing all day. Like, come on, let's connect mm-hmm. with our, our patients where they're advocates. And one day it's inevitable. We will be the patient. Mm-hmm. We come mm-hmm. in as a patient because we're born. So we're patients when we're born. We'll likely be patients when we pass. So let's Let's pay it forward. Let's make this, let's make it right. And you might feel like you're just one person. It won't be a big deal, but it does. I think collectively, Mm -hmm. we are so powerful collectively. And if we all do our part, we can make a huge impact, especially as the largest segment of the healthcare workforce. Yeah, I'm excited about your book. And I I have plans. I'm like, this book should be, part of the curriculum in nursing programs, like in the, in fundamentals, we should, we should get this book. They should have, they should have courses or a day, at least a day of early on to offset this and maybe a refresher every semester. I wish, I wish it was there. I see the value in that, but let's say I'm not in nursing school. And so we, we want to get your book. Can you tell us where can we go to get your book? Sure. So the power and pain of nursing is on amazon.com. You've probably heard of that before. Um, you can also get it at all your other you know, places you buy books. I also have a website, bethkavanaugh.com, and that has my books up there too. Okay, great. And what other goodies can we find on your website? I know you have, you have two books, I believe, right? You have- I do. I have Some Light at the End and The Power and Pain. And Some Light at the End is a book about hospice care, which I've been a hospice nurse for 15 years and wrote a book about how to take care of somebody who's dying, basically. And my on my website is loaded with blogs that I've written about end of life signs. So I do think it will be really helpful for any nurse who's just wondering, what do we need to look for at the end of life? How do we know it's actually close? What can I tell? A lot of, I have a lot of educational pieces on my website about, you know, hospice versus palliative care, about how to manage, how to start morphine, actually. You know, that's one of my 
blogs, anxiety. I talk about constipation, I cause, you know, delirium. So I talk about a lot of things on there and I want it to be a resource for people. And I do think it's helpful for nurses because, you know, nurses are the educators. We're the ones who have to talk about this stuff. And my blogs and my book, they're written it's not clinical the way I present it because it's presented for lay people. So that way I feel like nurses at least have some, some of the words they can use, you know, that other people will understand. Yes. Look, if you're going to go to the website, you might as well buy both the books guys, because listen, what we didn't, that was the book we know we didn't know we needed, especially going through this pandemic. How many of us took care of patients who died of COVID? You know, mm-hmm. they got into this, state where the body was shutting down, there was no recovery and we shifted to comfort care. And we, you know, although maybe we didn't have the time or the resources to actually call in hospice, we were still needing to provide comfort, care, respect, and dignity at this per- towards this person's end of life. So yeah, I get that too, because that's the book you didn't know you needed till after pandemic because... <laughs> But Beth, you have been a delight to talk to. I mean, and listen, I didn't come up with this. This is on her website, but she says, caring for others is difficult. With intention and self-care, we can be more conscious and compassionate caregivers, respecting our patients, our loved ones, and ourselves. So Beth, I think that was very well said. I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to talk with you. One more time for the people, where can they find you and your book? Mm-hmm. is probably the easiest way to go. Start there. Okay. There you go. There you go, guys. So make sure to visit Beth's website, follow her on all socials, check out her book. Well, the, the first book, the, the new book that's out now, The Power and Pain of Nursing, as well as her other book, which is called Some Light at the End. The book you didn't know you needed till after pandemic. Uh, <laughs> and I'm Alice Benjamin, your host. You know, I want to thank nurse.org for putting on the show, you know, provides us a platform to talk about all the interesting things that are going on in nursing that are relevant, not only to our professions, but to our, for ourselves, because we're health consumers too, guys. So as we're talking about how to take care of other people, realize that somebody's going to be listening to this is probably going to take care of you. So listen, we got to know it for ourselves. Uh, Check out nurse.org. Tons of wonderful and great information on there. There'll be an article about today's interview as well as uh, a link to it. Um, Otherwise you can listen to this on your favorite podcast platform. If you have any questions, comments, you can email me at nursealice at nurse.org. Would love to hear what you think about the show as well on your on the podcast platform. Rate, like, review, all those good things because that helps boost the podcast and gets it out to more people. And you can follow me on all things social at Ask Nurse Alice. So thanks guys so much for listening and tuning in. Make sure to share the podcast because sharing is caring. And so until next time, be kind to one another, make good choices and live well my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.